Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. All right, record, record, record. Good to go. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. And uh, today, uh, fun chat, a new friend on the show, and uh, a, a regular friend who's always on the show. <laughs> I guess, maybe not always. No, not you're, always. You're frequent. You're frequent. You're frequent, though. So uh, I think you've moved past the guest phase. You're more like when people come over to your house a couple times and you're like, all right, I'm going to stop getting the glass for you. Like, just get the glass for yourself and there's the water. I think you're kind of at that status right yeah, now, both you, know you and where, Ryan. You know where the food is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, let me give you a quick update on what's going on in my world. So, oh gosh, last I did a series of podcasts, took Thanksgiving off, uh, did some traveling with the family, and uh, going to ramp up this weekend coming up is uh, going to try to, I think, take my kids out hunting again. I haven't decided if I'm going to try to haul them around in a backpack uh, to do some whitetail hunting or if I'm going to go get in the goose blind, but we'll see. That's likely on the agenda for this weekend. Uh, I've got some free time and, uh, my wife's occupied with some meetings. So, uh, it'd be a good time to introduce them to the outdoors again. So, um, you taking Remy? as you recall, yep, I'm going to take Remy. I think I have one of those like kid packs, you know, the ones with the little backpacks where you put it in. And back, uh, when Colin was here, I took him out goose hunting uh-huh. and, uh, we, he he wears the earmuffs uh with no problem so i think uh i think we'll be good to go out to do something to either go back out in the goose blind like we did um spend the afternoon there or or try to go 
find uh, some white-tailed doe. But, yeah, we'll see. TBD. But um, uh, let's see outside of that. And just solidified some plans with AJ coming up in December. Well, I guess it is December. Coming up uh, third week in December before Christmas. Uh, we're going to head back up to Wyoming to try and fill those uh, Wyoming elk tags that we've been sitting on now for a month. If you remember, we actually, I don't even think, yeah, we briefly discussed it in our antelope episode where we talked about our, our elk adventures up there, but it was very, very brief. So looking to kind of solidify that and get some redemption after a rough elk season for me uh, several times out to no avail. Uh, but hopefully, fingers crossed, things are ever in my favor. How much longer do you have? Till the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Wyoming elk season for these particular tags ends December 31st. So, uh, maybe that three-day stint and then possibly another. But we're we're kind of restricted on the land that we can. So, it's a... Uh, it's a smaller zone that is uh, it's off forestry land and off national forest land only. So there's only some a couple spots of state land um, that we can hunt. So I think BLM maybe. But uh, we, we were up there. Like there's elk sign everywhere. It's just about catching the herd at the right time. Uh, we were also still kind of later or earlier in the year, and they hadn't come down uh, from the national forest yet with the snow. So hopefully – uh, the, the temps cool down because today it was a, a brisk 70 degrees here in Denver. So, it was 70 here uh, in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's crazy. It's December 1st. Uh-huh. What nonsense is this? So, uh, Lance, feel free to chime in at any moment in this conversation. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll still introduce you, but if you got a comment or a thought, just throw it in there as you see fit. Um, yeah. Well, first and foremost, if you're in flat land in Wyoming hunting elk, you need snow. Yeah. Period. <laughs> you know. Well, this this part's pretty uh the the land where we hunt, so part of it's flat and then uh it some of it butts right up to the national forest there. And so there is a little bit, but they have to come down off the hill basically uh yeah. to kind of do it. We found a bowl where they had been resting at, but we'd missed them by like a day. A day and a half. I think one of the guys we were talking to said somebody had spooked him out of that area. And so then uh, that was the resident herd. So they kind of bumped over to private land. But yeah, uh, hoping for snow or something. I don't know. We'll see. We got two weeks. <laughs> you know, this is uh, this has definitely been unusual. Um, we we haven't had snow except for the week that I was up elk hunting, mm-hmm. and then it dumped. Yep, and it, and it made it miserable, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's been a weird one. Well, so outside of that, I'm going to give you both. Uh, we're going to introduce Lance here in just a minute, and we'll give Emily a chance to get her updates. But uh, I just want to remind everybody we've got our other podcast, Antler and Finn. So that's like a our recipe uh, podcast. So you can go on there and listen to some of your our favorite recipes, literally ingredient by ingredient, line by line, and kind of. Press pause, press play, and work your way through that. And then, as always, we have the Facebook group, uh, the Wild Fishing Game Community, over on Facebook. Uh, it's a great place to interact with uh, all the Harvest and Nature crew, with those that like the podcast, the website, the books, all the things that we're doing. Uh, they all uh, kind of hang out there and share photos and experiences and food and all that stuff. So it's a fun place to be. Those links will be in the show notes for uh, for the community page. But you can go to Facebook as well and search uh, – 
wild fishing game community i believe it is and then as always we're still doing hats for reviews so uh five star review with a written review uh if, if you like the show that much which i hope you do if you're still listening at this point um you can leave the review there we'll read the review on air call your name out say hey shoot us an email pick out a hat and we'll send it your way super easy helps bump us up in the the ratings of the the great the great podcast gods out there and uh helps our our podcast slide at the top which is what we want and uh i think that's all i got so emily i'll bounce over to you and uh if you got any updates for us well we have a holiday antlerless hunt that we're doing for veterans coming up in december that lance is actually going to come down for and help cook so that's pretty awesome that he's on tonight and we'll see him here in like two weeks time 17 days <laughs> yeah it's coming up and quick. then other than that that's going to be kind of the conclusion of our year i think we're going to go out to texas one more time after christmas uh with some veterans some guys that ryan was in one five with and uh, mm-hmm. i'm just going to kind of tag along for that so that's just going to be kind of fun but and then starts off 2022 and <laughs> i haven't even thought about it yet really <laughs> yeah 2022 i mean there's still you know there's still time for waterfowl and small game and colorado we have late season whitetail yeah i mean we still have hunting obviously available here and uh, we have been doing no gun 21 on the way we hunt and it's been no deer no gun for emily (laughs) 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 haven't killed nothing no yeah no so the deer have eluded me i think they know my schedule so then it's going to be uh, two gun twenty two. Yes, there we go. It's going to go out blazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, Lance, welcome to the show. Uh, for th- for those that have never, I think we've we've shared some of Lance's stuff on social media. Uh, he has tagged out kitchen, but he's also a fellow Den- Denverite. Is that what we call ourselves? Sure. <laughs> I've been here long enough. I consider myself a Denverite. There you go. All right. Uh, go ahead, Lance. Please introduce yourself. So um, I'm Lance Lewis. I have uh, Tagged Out Kitchen. I uh, started Tagged Out Kitchen this year as kind of a way to kind of draw all my interests together as far as being in the hunting world and outdoors world. It's a place I can kind of let my mind go and do all of its own little wacky things with recipes and thoughts of thoughts of hunting and blogs and, uh, you know, just kind of put myself out there. Um, uh, part of what I do with tagged out kitchen is I offer uh, zoom courses, uh, similar to what mm-hmm. you guys do with, with your recipe courses as well. So, uh, if you like what you see, feel free to reach out and, uh, ask me anything. I can generate a course around it. Yeah. So. Pretty good resource. Lance, you got a pretty, pretty solid culinary background, uh, as an instructor and, all that helping out in some of the various wild game, I guess like skills camps. I guess would be the easiest thing to summarize it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think really what kind of piques my interest into this whole thing is um, really kind of trying to change the perception of the face mm-hmm. of hunting and create a, a, a inclusive environment to make it a little less intimidating. Um, you know. I, I think as a whole, your big 
your demographic has completely changed. I grew up with a dad that took me hunting and taught me hunting skills. And it was something I picked up at a very young age. And I, I think in order for the industry to continue, it's making these things inviting for people to come in as a first timer and not feel intimidation and have room to learn from somebody as well as room to ask questions as well. Yeah. So, so that in, in a nutshell, that I think that's kind of where my uh, whole tagged out kitchen endeavor is going. It's cool. So, I like it. I've I've been uh you know when when I got out here to Denver, uh, you quickly introduced yourself and we had some beers and chatted and I was like, man, what a what an awesome concept. So definitely one hundred percent supportive of it. So I encourage everybody to go check out uh check out Lance's profile on social media um and and his website too. So all all that's I think it's all under tagged out kitchen, right? Under on Instagram and stuff. <laughs> And yeah, it's on Instagram and uh, the website as well. I I still haven't set up a Facebook yet, but that's coming soon. <laughs> no worries. Uh, believe it or not, I think a lot of our listeners are actually very big into uh, um, Instagram, so it's a good place. It's a good yeah. spot. Um, well, so overall, though, today we in this whole topic sort of spawned from a conversation that. Um, uh, myself, you, and Ryan, and Emily, I think you were on the chain, the, the text chain too. Yep. Uh, we were talking about, so really we wanted to discuss uh, age ethics. And uh, people might be saying, oh, why, why are we talking about age ethics? What the hell are age ethics? And, and where does that fit into uh, hunting and, and eating wild game and fish, I guess? So... I guess to tie it all together, we were talking about, you know, we were out with Col- – I was out with Colin. Uh, Colin shot a very young deer, which is cool because we were out there hunting deer with antlerless tags, and we legally harvested that deer. So no, the, no negative anything came from it. We just kind of were having the conversation of, like, uh, I think Ryan brought it up of, like, why, why do we as hunters target – older animals or why is hunting in general lean towards targeting older animals when we look at agricultural practices and a lot of food practices that lean towards eating younger animals uh like for an example would be like veal or lamb or um gosh my mind just went blank like suckling pig things like that like those more there's a lot of uh stigma that comes with that but then also too you don't hear a lot about people being like oh you know i like those old scruffy goats or you know i like mutton versus lamb or i like a good you know well-aged cow or bull to just throw into the or rooster or anything like that you know you you start thinking about those things and you just really i don't know you know everybody's gonna have their opinion but i feel like domestic versus wildlife when it comes to herd management is comparing apples to steak. I mean, because, you know, I think it's apples to oranges. No, no, no. They're still both fruit. (laughs) Unless the food pyramid has changed. Yeah, Yeah, no, apples and oranges are still fruit. We're talking apples and steak. Mm. Herd management is completely different when it comes to wildlife versus domestic. 
No, 100%. Yeah, I don't think compare um, the two. Well, so I guess my, my thought being as we look at it is is palatability one. So looking at flavor, texture, and tenderness. I guess tenderness could rope in under texture, but um, what people lean towards. And as we go through this, we can break down each one, but I'm just like, that's kind of what stands out to me in my mind. From a culinary standpoint. Well, I think from a culinary standpoint, you should be able to make anything taste amazing, right? Well, I do. <laughs> I do. That's fair. Well, in, in all actuality, though, there are examples in the culinary world of yeah, eating Emily. older game. Or of eating older animals, right? Like, uh, like um, with... French mm-hmm. dishes. There's uh, there's Coco Van, which is which was your old mm-hmm. yard rooster, right? Um, you mentioned mutton. Western Kentucky. That's about what Western Kentucky has going for it. Is a huge is a huge mm-hmm. mutton barbecue. You know. So again, I mean, so there are examples of it with oh, yeah. agricultural well, animals we, as well. We, we grew up eating um, like rooster and dumplings. Like you'd get, you know, a couple of troublesome yeah. roosters, and they quickly ended up in the pot. No, cause totally, totally understandable. Um, you know, uh, I th- I think from a flavor standpoint, anything you're going to braise or stew for a real long time, you want that tougher meat that's going to hold up to that long. Mm-hmm. But how's it process. not? How's it not still? come back around to a management thing because if you have a domestic animal you can manage your herd properly the way that you want it when it comes to a wild herd i mean you can only do so much to make sure that there's a 50 50 ratio of females versus males and you know you want to take like the older more mature animals or if you're looking at your property and you can kind of quasi see that hey i have a ton of does and not very many bucks or i have a ton of bucks and not very many does so then you have to go through and decide like not from a food standpoint but from a management standpoint hey i need a 50 50 ratio and not this old school way of thinking is like the more you know the more does i let live are there's going to be more bucks because they're going to be breeding they're going to have they're going to have more male deer well you know it's a 50 50 ratio when it comes to having a child or reproducing it may be a may be a male maybe a female when it comes to it so you know oklahoma department of wildlife conservation has a thing out right now that says hunters in the know take a doe because our ratio is so skewed in oklahoma right now Mm -hmm. that we have way too many antlerless deer way too many does versus our bucks our male deer because that old school way of thinking, well, if I, if I kill a doe, then I'm not going to have any big bucks. Well, that's that's not accurate. I mean, that's from a biology yeah. standpoint with my biology background, that's inaccurate information. and probably going to tick some people off, but, I mean, it's facts are facts. Well, I, I think that's really interesting because growing up in Oklahoma, it was still that traditional, like, don't, don't do mm-hmm. it. Like, don't shoot the doe. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't even, don't even think about it. And that was like, that was, I mean, that was law for a long time. Like there were. Now, so what you're talking about is in Southeastern Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. they, the, the herd 
health down there is to a point where it's still mandatory that you can only kill antlerless deer on the weekends in certain counties in Mm -hmm. Southeast Oklahoma. But you look at the rest of Oklahoma, they're just covered in whitetail, both bucks and does. So you don't have weekend doe days like you do in Southeast Oklahoma where we grew up and lived. It's just different. Southeast Oklahoma folk start shooting deer in June and July, so it's your brown thing down there. Wait a minute. Yeah. No, we know. Well, so that you bring up an interesting point with the with the management and kinda I'll I'll preface this to like I'm very neutral in this discussion and, and I, I think that I, I don't have a strong opinion either way because I believe um I've got some thoughts on the consumption of younger animals and I've got some thoughts on the consumption of older animals. Mm -hmm. And I think it does, Emily, you're onto something in in my thoughts about a management perspective. And I think it comes twofold. Um, As you look at sort of throughout history as, as we look at how hunting has evolved um, you know, going from like subsistence hunting to where people were like, all right, there's a target of opportunity. I'm hungry. I'm going to shoot. Absolutely. To, to, we see populations decline because of over hunting and poaching and market hunting to the rise of organizations like Boone and Crockett and sort of that, that quasi like trophy hunting, uh, generations, uh, with, not to lump Boone and Crockett in with the trophy hunting because I think Boone and Crockett and its very foundation was also about management and people were trying to figure out how do we tell herd health? How do we tell, you know, how do we start keeping up to date records of what management practices are working? And if you go to Boone and Crockett's website, it's kind of like they spell that out as like their intentions. I don't know them well enough to say if that's true or not nowadays or whatever. I'll just, take it take it as as i read it i'll trust them but i think that all that and then now you have like organizations like uh what is it uh qdma i think they changed their name um but like the quality quality deer management yeah so like you have that where you're looking at like all right quality deer management plan versus trophy management versus traditional management like where where do we as a community sit with those and i think that differs public land hunters private land hunters government states like and I, biologists and i also completely understand so what i was saying earlier about like you know hunters in the grow will take a doe i don't want people to think that i'm not for you know you take your kids out or a first time hunter or somebody that's never shot anything before and the first thing that walks out they want to shoot shoot it as long as it's legal let it happen i'm not opposed to that at all you know so when it comes to herd management yeah that is going to come later on down the line once you've hunted for a few years and you start delving into it more and then just because it's legal doesn't make it ethical in your mind and each person can have their own ethics when it comes to taking of whitetail or elk or you know what whatever you're hunting you know so i think that you need to allow yourself some time to get through that aka killing stage into your management into like okay well now I've, i've done my i've killed my first buck i've killed my first doe now let's look into it a little bit more i want to get into the cooking side of it so 
like you said, like this whole podcast is about, all right, what is going to be good to eat? All right, what is legal that I can take? What is going to be good to eat? Plus, on top of looking at herd health and management of mm-hmm. the deer, and then you're talking to people like, you know, you and Lance about like, okay, I killed this five-year-old doe, and is she going to be really tough? What do I do with it? Well, you know, I think also um, living in Colorado as long as I have and cutting my teeth on Western hunting out here, there is an aspect of it that is kind of changed. I change from year to year. I've gone five years without drawing a deer tag. You know, I mean, it's it's nuts. It's, it's, it's crazy that the amount of time you put into trying to get tags. And then uh, spot and stalk on public land. That's a completely different ball game when it comes you know, to public it, versus private. It puts too, you, we haven't even run. Yeah, I mean, you know, you wait it's five years to get a tag, <laughs> and then the, <laughs> pretty much, you know. Uh, and I'm I'm packing that stuff out. So no, I I would much rather shoot a year and a half year old than a three-year-old if I'm put if I'm bringing it out of my back if I'm being honest unless it's just super does that come huge. back to the management so of the Colorado Fish and Game Department though of their whitetail I, I think I think if, if you take a oh, very so- like wide kind of hug at it that it does because that drawing tags the uh even things like antler restrictions or the availability of you know like Colorado pushed out the new X tags, which you can hunt any season for certain mule deer areas and whitetail areas, because like they they want the population more managed and more controlled in those areas. So they're they've created these like basically any any weapon, any method of choice for harvest. So that opens up opportunities, uh, both for the hunter, but also to manage the herd. Versus like, all right, you got a one week gun season to fill it. So. I think yes, but I, I'm sorry, I, I stepped on you, Lance, so. No, but, yeah, so, I don't know, in, in, that situ- in those situations, um, I, again, if, if three animals walk out and you have a small, a medium, and a large, if it's a cow or a doe, I'm going to go for medium. I'm going to assess the situation, see if this one has a fawn. Mm, or a yearling with it, and this one doesn't, you know, and, and and try my best to make an ethical choice that way. Um, I have been told by a few old timers, never shoot the herd cow. Um, basically, your herd cow is what is what dictates where the herd goes. So you shoot the herd cow, and there's all this disruption, while a new herd cow steps up and becomes the herd cow. So that meadow you saw elk in every year, you sh- shoot the herd cow. There's a good chance they aren't there next. Well, I mean that comes back to herd the management. The herd cow doesn't like, like that meadow. And then, you know you can you can say that with turkeys. Uh, Oklahoma yeah. just changed their spring turkey season and pushed it back two weeks, and took it from three toms in the spring to only one tom in the spring. And after reading uh, and talking to some of the guys. One of the reasons they did that is when they start breeding at the beginning of the season, if you kill that alpha tom for that group of turkeys, that all those hens will not breed at all. 
because that was their Alpha Tom, and now he's gone, and they have to regroup, figure out who's going to be the new Alpha, so that entire spring they're not even breeding. So they pushed it back two weeks to allow breeding to occur before you're allowed to go out and hunt to hopefully have those hens bred so they can go, you know, lay eggs, have more poults, et cetera, et cetera. And after reading that, it made a whole lot of sense. And so it kind of comes back to what you're saying, Lance, about taking the old cow and completely disrupting the whole herd. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that's that's myself and the ethics in which I choose to follow. Um, there, I have hunted with a lot of people that their ethics is... Their ethics yeah. end at. I think personal ethics are really important when it comes to hunting, you know? especially the longer you're uh, into it. Yeah, yeah. No, at this stage of my life, I have let more stuff walk mm-hmm. than I've even pulled a, pulled up on. You know, it's, uh, but you know that that's me, and that's where I choose to sit, and where somebody else chooses to sit on that. It's not my issue. In regards to in regards to our conversation and meat and quality of meat and ethics of shooting younger versus older. Um, I, I really lean towards your, Mm -hmm. so much of that is situational as well. If, if you are a Southern or an Eastern stand hunter and you have an incredibly long season and an opportunity to get two does and a buck from the end of August through the middle of December, then that's a whole. That's a whole different animal. You, you have time to be choosy, and you have time to allow that right animal to come your way. Um, well, like you had mentioned, your Wyoming tag. Uh, I'm not sure what Wyoming tag that is, but it. You don't have that opportunity in Colorado. You got a ten day season or a five day season, and that's it. <laughs> Unless you archery hunt. You know, then you can, then you can over the counter another animal and get a month long archery season. So, um, so again, I really think so much of that is is situational to where you are, and maybe to in areas such as Colorado, maybe the move is to get a better, stronger herd is to actually lengthen seasons. Well, I've seen this in Oklahoma. We used to have a nine-day deer rifle season, and it was panic mode. And it was just, it Mm -hmm. was chaos. And everybody was shooting everything that they saw at first. There was a lot of extra poaching going on, et cetera, et cetera. And then we extended it to a 16-day season, so it gave everybody a little bit longer to, like, you know, hey, I have this one deer on camera. I've got 16 days, you know, for rifle season, you know, to, to bag this deer. And we don't see near the panic that we did before with the nine day. And then like, if you go to Texas, they have a month long rifle season. And even then you don't see near the panic because you have such a long season. So I understand the short season. I understand why these Western states and other states do what they do, but I'm not opposed. And I know I'm going to get a lot of kickback from people in my line of work for saying that but i'm not opposed to a month-long rifle season you know in mm-hmm. october 1st january 15th in oklahoma is deer season and if you hunted every single opportunity that you could you could kill eight deer in oklahoma and two maybe antlered so that's a lot of deer that's a lot of, it's a whole lot yeah it's a lot of deer. of deer it's a lot of opportunity 
Everybody's moving to Oklahoma. <laughs> well, I missed that. <laughs> We're going to take that yeah. out. <laughs> You're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> um, not, not as easy as it sounds, right, Emily? Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I haven't killed anything here in like two years. But I've also been very choosy uh, and ethics comes into mm-hmm. play, et cetera, et cetera, because I haven't had anything, any big antlered. And all we eat is wild game. And we've had so many, we've been, uh, grateful enough in to have all these other opportunities to hunt in these other places so our freezers are full so there's no point in me going and taking a a doe right now because we don't need the meat so i'm actually horn hunting for almost the first time in probably my hunting career because our freezers are full so i have been extremely picky and then we've had some cold deer come in some cold bucks that are older deer that you know, they're not going to get any bigger than they are at this point that need to be taken out of the herd for quality herd management for bigger, you know, better quality antlers. And they just, it hasn't presented itself, you know, in the few times that it had, I didn't have ethical shots or didn't feel comfortable taking the shot or they, like I said, know, know when I'm there to know what I'm not. <laughs> it's fair. I, I'm on, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. So I have, I have an antelope sitting in the in the freezer and i am holding uh nothing but doe tags so i'm well no i take that back i have one one uh one antler tag but i don't expect to fill it unless it's a surprise (laughs) but yeah all, all my other tags are doe or cow so but yeah i'm i mean i'm to me those those are I guess they're not cheaper tags for Wyoming. It's the cheaper of, of the tag. Cause I'm out of state, but Colorado, uh, it's, it's the same price. So it doesn't really matter, but, um, Hmm. I think they were easier to get, but, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of in it too. And, and I, I think hitting on this, the whole like substance hunting and game management and kind of like the intersection of those, because a lot of people, I feel will also be like, Oh, I'm a meat hunter. I only take does, but it's like, if you had the opportunity to take a buck or an older deer, like I would say, if you're bringing the meat hunter argument to it, then you wouldn't pass on. Absolutely not. And I'm going to eat it too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, also, especially with uh, a lot of the herd health issues out there, I mean, you are better off shooting or taking animals and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and thinning that herd out as well. You know, um, um, so you're, so with that said, you know, you could argue, well, then you want to take the older doe to get newer genetics into their gene pool, which maybe might make them a little less susceptible to chronic waste and disease or EHD or, whatever but i mean with that said there's there's (laughs) i i am not a deer biologist so i'm not even going to pretend that i know what's best in that aspect but i but i do know in the very beginning stages when you first started hearing about these things part of what you were hearing were aspects of the herds were it's large herds that get compacted in the small areas, and then you start seeing these 
issues arise. And you're not wrong with that. And that's why there's many states, especially out east, that don't allow baiting because of that reason. Mm -hmm. Because CWD lives in the ground. And so you congregate a herd into a corn pile or a mineral block or something like that, and one of them has chronic wasting disease, et cetera, now you're just spreading it. Or COVID. Yes. They do have COVID. COVID and deer. It's another topic, folks. But <laughs> another conversation. Jeez, I'll, I'll toss this out there as a, as a hand grenade. No. But uh, Wisconsin Fish and Wildlife or whatever their agency name is, uh, put out a recommendation that people wear masks while gutting deer. There's actually an Oklahoma State University professor that recommended the same thing. Huh. Okay. But there's been no documented cases of COVID transferring to humans as of this point from deer. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah. But you can get your deer COVID tested. Do they use the saliva rapids tests? They do do seems- a saliva test. Don't know if it's rapid. No. I don't think it's rapid. They have to send it off, but they do a cheek swab as far as I understand. Oh, man. They, I've always gotten the, the one where they poke you in the brain. Maybe it's because you're alive. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'll, take that. I'll take that in trade. <laughs> All right. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I guess overall, kind of what what I is is we were formulating this conversation in our chat is looking at um, from from a culinary standpoint. We've talked a lot about uh, hunting and ethics, and I think we've kind of all settled on like hunt what makes you happy as long as it's legal mm-hmm. and within your personal ethics, right? Yeah. To to me, that seems where we landed. So collectively, okay. So, what, so now, Justin and Lance, what makes yeah. it? What's make? What makes a deer or any other game gamey? Oh, don't say that <laughs> word. Get out of here. Uh, it has more to do with. I do have an opinion. Uh, to answer that, to mm-hmm. answer that, I really think it has more to do with what they eat. Um. You know, I have I've shot some decent animals up in up in timber that had some age on them, and they were tender and delicious, and not gamey at all. And I've 
shot a couple of young does that were standing in the middle of sage, and you could not get the sage you out of them in any way, reason? shape, or form. You know. Uh, uh, that also um, a uh, hmm. clean lights out shot. Um, I, I do find that your animals do tend to be a little more tender and not as tough and uh, have a little more appealing taste. Um, like, I, I've had some animals that I shot and ran a few hundred yards, and, you know, inevitably, you know you get a hold of one of those packs in the freezer when you open it up, and you can smell it as it thaws. I mean, they, you, they, it's, it is strange that that adrenaline really does affect the taste of the meat. Can you pull the adrenaline out using a salt bath or an ice bath? I sure. I mean, <laughs> you can put enough ketchup on anything to make it delicious, right? You know. Yeah, but we put to bed that you don't need to go and and drain the blood out of your meat with a salt bath or a water bath necessarily. You know, I, I'm a big fan of if you don't let your meat soak in a cooler for three days. You know, that's that's a good start and. Uh, and to have a quality tasting meat um if possible hang it but hang it let it get a little age on it but that's a that's a whole thing not everybody's got to walk in at their house that they can hang it in for three days so um i think uh you clean it out look for look for glands in the meat um in your hindquarter there's a huge gland that's right there where Mm-hmm. Your top round, your bottom round, and your sirloin come into play. Get those glands out of there. That's what maybe you guys need to do a class on, because I don't think very many people who self-process understand those glands that are in there, cutting into it and then making the meat worse than it is by accidentally cutting into it and using the same knife to go ahead and process the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, so so like the those glands, that that's all part of like uh, where they exude their pheromone essence and the people don't know what they don't know. All of that sort of stuff. Get that stuff yeah. out of there. No, no, I, um, I, I agree with you on their, that. I think, huh, that, yeah. that might be worth a, yeah. Oh, it's a good piece for an article. Definitely. Yeah. There, cause there's also uh, one of the best cuts of meat on a deer, in my opinion, is the neck roast. Well, there's like four glands in there. You got to find to get out. Or else you're mm-hmm. going to end up with a real musky, uh, so real musky product. My thoughts right on sort of the whole thing is, I think age, diet, um, and I'll include like nutritional availability and well, water availability. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's yep. a major thing. Yep, yep, huge. Uh, so I think those to me are going to affect flavor probably the most. And I think diet, uh, diet being at the top. What about handling of the meat after harvest? Field, field care is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think field care and processing, uh, play into a lot. And I think there's a lot of instances that people are ending up with gamey meat or meat that, they're not a fan of is based at it starts at the field field care level and kind of goes from there yeah 
Yeah, uh, definitely. You you need to get off all that silver skin and even that really thin, almost mucusy membrane that's on that's in between the muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. As much of that as you can get out as possible, and that's where uh, even if you aren't able to dry age your meat when you get it, uh, give it a nice coating of salt. Just put it in the fridge uncovered for at least six hours and you'll get an element of dry aging with that which will make removing all of that outer mm-hmm. fascia material a lot easier i i can say like i'm 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 a fan of the aging process and we've spent a lot of time talking about it. i've even been looking at dry agers and things like that which you know if you have an old fridge that has one of the circulating fans in it not one of the newer fridges like if you bought a old fridge off craigslist and just put it in your garage more likely or not you could use that to dry age because it's got a fan to constantly like circulate air and if you're able to regulate the temperature circulate the air and sort of you know eliminate the introduction of bacteria and have a collection method for drip and stuff like you can dry age you know quarters or whole deer you know whatever you're able to do steaks at that point fish um but i would say I'm not as much a fan of the ice soaking method. I think it 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 breaks down the meat and introduces a lot of things in there that you don't want. And that's how I, I um, used to do it. Uh, and that's why I brought it up yeah. is because that, that was the way you did it. You put it in a freaking iced water mm-hmm. bath and added salt to it to pull all the blood out of it to make it less gamey. And then as the older I got and the more talked to people that actually knew what the crap they were talking about, it was like, oh, I've been messing up. Like, I've been doing this all wrong this entire time. So, I mean, there is an element of truth to that logic. I mean, salt's a desiccant, right? It's going to break down those muscles. Mm -hmm. But with that said, water and, like, uh, you... You never hear of a brined beef steak, mm-hmm. right? You always hear of brined pork, brined poultry. In essence, you're brining your deer by mm-hmm. doing ice and salt. Yep. And, it, I mean, it, I can see where it pulls out the blood because that's exactly what a brine oh, yeah, does. A thousand it percent. Enters... It turns it from that dark red color into, into a like a pork colored, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so... But, but yeah, I've, I've heard of everything being brined except red meat. Which a deer is red meat. So I think that I mean, it didn't yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done dry, I've done dry brines on, on red meat and I've, I have brined deer meat and game meat before red yeah, meat. Yeah, but what but. I mean is it's like the entire deer from processing to mm-hmm. cooking, not just like, hey, I have this you know, top brown that I want to do this certain specific thing with, I'm going to do a salt brine with it. Yeah, completely different. No, I'm talking about, like, you harvest it to the deer and you throw it in some salt water. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think, and that goes back to that field care method, that keeping it dry, keeping it cool, cooling it down as quickly as you can. Yeah. But I think the the dryness factor is probably there. That that's what you're searching for. And I think beyond even just texture and flavor is when you have water and stuff like that, you're you're able to introduce bacteria and stuff into the meat, which is not necessarily where you want to be. 
Yeah, we've decided that when we bring animals from other states that we're coming in, if we have the opportunity, we're going to use dry ice versus regular ice mm -hmm. now. So it cools it down and you don't have any of the, the water coming off the ice as it melts and cools it off. Good field care, not ruining the meat. And also a dry ice will kind of help promote dryness within the meat as well. So, so it will help it even from kind of like not so much waterlogged, but just like bloodlogged in the, in the bottom of the cooler. It'll also kind of help coagulate that and, and hopefully uh, not have your, not open your cooler to a crime scene. When and tell me if I'm wrong on this. We've also been told and taught that, say, let's just take a back strap, for instance. You leave the silver skin on when you freeze it to help keep from freezer burn, and then when you thaw it out, then you take the silver skin off. Yay or nay? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I do. I just cut, um, I cut it off in the moment because I portion everything out generally. But Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you know what you're going to do with it. Oh. Yeah. So, so typically I take the back strap and I fold it in thirds and make two cuts, gives me three back straps. It, it's, I'm, I'm only cooking for two as well. Mm -hmm. So one third of a small deer back strap is a great meal, you know, for Well, now I feel two. like a fatty because I keep it whole and I cook the entire thing for two people. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you and Ryan won't stop doing push-ups and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need to keep eating. Um, what was I thinking? I think that's a great that is a great tip for that. Like if if you're gonna be doing freeze, and then we could get down this whole conversation of like freezing methods. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to go there on this because I think let, let's circle around. I, I wanted to hit one point with, uh, and I think this is kind of the blending of, we'll say, uh, animal husbandry. Mm -hmm and hunting and the consumption of meat is that when you look at younger animals that are consumed, be it suckling pig, be it lamb, be it veal, right? What do people look for when they're eating those? Tenderness, flavor. Yeah. You're, you're looking for something tender. Uh, veal definitely, uh, more so than any other animal, the characteristics between veal and beef, I find to be a way bigger jump than, say, suckling pig to commodity pork. Yep. I, I would say, I think texture, you guys are right on, for sure. Tenderness, tenderness and texture, I'll lump into one. I think uh, what has evolved to us as palatability, palatability, so being a neutral flavor, the animal hasn't had enough time through its diet, through age, to develop a flavor of beef, a flavor of, you know, pork, a flavor of So mutton. I've never had veal. So does it not have the flavor of beef? It's it's super, super neutral. Then, then why say. do people eat? It, it almost tastes milky. Yep. Tender. Just because you can cut it with a fork? I made backstrap mm -hmm. you can get with a fork. All right, so now let's go into this. So now, whoosh, mind blown, I'm going to loop it around, is now on the other side of the spectrum is that uh, as we hunt for older animals with antlers 
an older doe or what what be it so now we're on the opposite side so now we're looking at an animal that's had age that has had time to develop its diet so it's consistently eating the same thing over and over um that has then contributed to the flavor of the meat so now you've got something that's very strong on the other side of like a fawn or a yearling or you know uh, a two-year-old deer versus a four-year-old deer like those flavor points are kind of what I wanted to look at of like you hear a difference from both sides of the spectrum is that oh I, I I like to hunt but some of the game meat is too much for me because I hunt older animals but I don't want to hunt under younger animals but younger animals turn out to be more quote unquote more palatable because they haven't really developed their true well here's something that blew my mind that i just learned recently within the last five years or so is that the shanks are the most flavorful flavorful part of an animal it's closer to the ground it's a harder working muscle so it has more flavor and i have never heard that and had never kept the shanks Hmm. until talking talking to y'all like yeah talking to chefs because that's not something in the normal hunting world that people are taught like normal biology etc cetera, etc cetera. that's not something that i ever knew it's like take that piece of crap that has all the sinew and tendons in it and throw it out because it's crap wrong <laughs> uh, i'll be honest with you shanks are now one of I my mean, favorite mind blown i would i had no idea but I would not have said that prior to things like mm-hmm. the Instapot. Hmm. Well, pressure cookers. Because, yeah. Come on, well, who has a pressure cooker? This old, yeah, this old exactly. right here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I do. Who, yeah, I get one. <laughs> Actually. Come on, chef. I, I, I eventually would have got a pressure cooker, uh, I, I'm typically not a fan of new kitschy things. It's not a new kitschy thing. Literally, our grandparents and great grandparents. No, I'm talking about. She's talking. He's talking about an I know, instapot. But I mean, a pressure cooker. A pressure I'm talking. Cooker. A, I'm talking instapot. When when I was uh, when I was teaching culinary classes, I would always get asked about an instapot. I'm like, what the heck's an instapot? And I got asked about it so much, I went and bought one to play with it. And I brought the thing home, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is genius! This is amazing! It is, it, I, don't, I don't, it has changed I I, the way that I that I cook those sorts of things. And an instapot makes it to where if you have an instapot and you make cereal, and that's about as far as your culinary experience goes, I can tell you how to make shanks in an instapot. That'll be mind-blowingly delicious you know it's so simple Uh, you can teach anybody how to enjoy those cuts which again makes me a big proponent for things like shakes and some of these lesser cuts now i enjoy shanks a lot um i will keep shanks i will ask people who are going to tell me they're going to grind shanks uh who tell me they're going to grind shanks to keep to keep their shanks whole? Yeah, like, you, you just that's what we were it. taught. That's how we. That's what we knew to do with shanks: is you grind them or you throw them away. Yep. 
Yep. No, I think there's so much, and and I think people are learning to appreciate it more. It's becoming like a a flashy thing, which is good because it should be. Like waffles. Uh, like, like what? Waffles. Yeah. Also a great thing. I was just talking about that day. I think I, I was talking with someone at work, and I was like, they're like, what are you going to do this weekend? I was like, I may go deer hunting. And they're like, oh, yeah, looking to get another deer. I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, you're going to you know, feed feed the heart to your kids? And I was like, no way. I'm going to save it for later. <laughs> I was like, and I need a liver, and I probably need a couple more kidneys because I only have one set of kidneys, and I need some more so I can make a kidney pie. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they were they were uh, a bit uh... intimidated. Um... But no, it's you guys, uh you guys it, post a picture of tongues earlier today on your uh Insta story. Yeah. Yeah, there's another one that you can keep. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like tongues. But just something else weird that you keep that you can mm. eat. I mean conceivably. conceivably you can keep about I mean, I'm, I'm talking just of things to eat on a deer. You can keep easily 90% of it. I mean, they're obviously somewhere out there. Somebody's figured out how to do something with lungs. I'm not going to dive in on that. Uh, but if you were so inclined, you could uh, make your own venison mm-hmm. sausage That's casings. True. Not something I'm going to tackle. But... There's somebody out there that can do that. You know, um, I mean, yeah, if you really went in, you could probably clean the stomach out. And uh, Actually, I think there's one, one. Uh, it's like a, a German sausage that's actually cased in the stomach. I can't think stomach. of it, but I think of haggis. Haggis is in the mm-hmm. stomach. Yeah. It's a sheep yeah. stomach, which would be similar yeah, in size. I, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you really wanted to dive into it, you could. I mean, for me, I I, I do like to keep the large round bones, make make uh, uh-huh. various stocks with it. That's just because homemade stock tastes so much better than anything 100%. you can buy anywhere. I agree with that. You know, um, but, but yeah, the tongue... Tongues are delicious. The only problem is you just need so many mm-hmm. of them. You end up with a freezer full of tongues. <laughs> yeah, it takes like 10 years to get enough tongues to be like, hey, I've got this great tongue dish for all of us. That's something I've never delved into. We've so. got a, over on the website, we've got a great, uh, it's a deer tongue sushi recipe. It's not it's not raw, but nice. it's a, it, it is a tongue sushi recipe. Uh, written by one of our our former field staff writers, so that's an interesting one. There's a I'm trying to think. There's another tongue recipe on there too. I think I still have two or three tongues in the freezer from last year. So, so is there a conclusion to this? I know that we've we've really kind of talked in circles, and I don't know that we've agreed on or disagreed on anything at this point. So we we agreed that on uh, the hunting of it of kind of like ethically legally hunt whatever makes you mm-hmm. happy like that part consumption wise have the two chefs decided what my stance my stance is it goes back to hunting whatever it just understand the difference between the two types of meat mm-hmm. no that makes that makes total sense uh, 
on if you're if you shot a young doe, there are definitely things that you mm-hmm. can cut a steak with that you can't cut a steak yep. with on an old doe. You know, uh, de- you know, definitely uh, part like you could on a young doe, you could definitely do some some steaks with your eye around that on an old doe would uh, they would look beautiful, but mm-hmm. they would chew yeah. like bubble gum. I think with with younger animals, uh, while you're still going to have leanness to it you're going to be afforded the tenderness that you won't find in older animals because of that age factor. You're also, if you're someone who maybe doesn't enjoy the full-fledged flavor of game that you would find in an older animal, maybe you should start harvesting younger animals. Or, you know, you harvest a young one, you do normal steak cuts, and you harvest an older one, and that's the one that you do jerky and summer sausage in. Low and slow. Mm-hmm. Low and slow cooking, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, low and slow. You do your, your roasts and your stews, et cetera, et cetera, with the older ones. Or, you know, take it to a processor and grind it all. Mix it with pork fat, you know? O- older, younger, you're not going to be able to tell the difference because it's mixed with pork fat. So, you so Lance, you, you, had a, Lance, you had a comment. Sorry. So where I think where where I stand on this is I'm on the mindset is yes I may have to alter my course a little bit but I could do mm-hmm. something with anything I got I have that part covered for me it's again it comes down to the uh, ethical shot now I mean if there is unless you really are talking about once in a lifetime buck or bull that walks out, then, you know, that might change your, your logic. But again, if you're talking antlerless or non trophy game, I'm, I'm leaning towards which one gives me the shot that Mm -hmm. I feel most comfortable taking. That's fair. As my, as my primary driving force on whether, on which animal I'm going to take. And if I'm on a five-day hunt in Oklahoma and I'm you seeing only shoot eight. deer a day. Only two antlered. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but you can't, you can't shoot general, them all at once. Yeah. I'm well, more inclined to different, different means. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in that situation, though, I am more inclined to uh, be a little more mm-hmm. selective. Absolutely. You non-resident versus resident, a thousand percent. Well, that, that and just opportunity. Uh, I, I mean, out here in Colorado, I know that if I have a tag in my pocket and there is a legal animal that has presented a, a shot that I am comfortable with and I choose not today, maybe tomorrow, Within 20 minutes, I will see mm-hmm. it cross a ridge, and I will hear a boom, and and that, and there and there it goes. So, it does leave me in a position where if it's something that I would take on the last day, I better be willing to take it on the first day too. I mean, you make a good point. I mean, state to state is going to be different for your opportunities. 
and advantages of taking what you want versus what you need versus what's available at that point. So our availability here for meat-wise is unlimited. Now that 200 Boone and Crockett inch whitetail, yeah, not so much. But, you know, I go out and I need meat, I'm going to be able to get meat. I want to go out and kill a big one, yeah, I'm going to have to work for it. But, you know, it's not going to be the same in every single state. But if I'm a non-resident going to another state and the opportunity arises for me to kill something after I spent all this money as a non-resident, you bet you I'm going to be first thing I see that's yeah, legal and ethical that's, to shoot. That's why probably going to take in it. a lot of places as a non-resident hunter, I get really attracted to uh, to doe tags and cow tags. Just the price availability point. And I, I won't say like pound. I'm not going to put a like dollar amount on a pound of meat because we all know it goes way. There's so much more complication right. to that. Um, if that's the case, that's dove meat is probably the most expensive. I killed five this year. I'm not telling you right. how many I saw and shot it. I mean, if you take and I, I wrote an article on this a long, long time ago, and it's still like one of our very popular articles. And if you take like pound for pound, and like you take the price of a hunting license, and you compare with the price of you know meat in the store, like yeah, the, there's a, there's a big difference where you lean towards game, but that's once you've acquired all the things. That's once you realize like, oh yeah, this is I'm not spending money to go out and do something I enjoy on top of everything else. Like there's a lot of complicated things that go into it, but. If it comes down to it, if I'm like, look, I want to go out and I want to hunt because I enjoy hunting and I want to hunt because I enjoy eating game meat, then statistically speaking, the probability of harvesting an antlerless animal is higher than 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 harvesting an antlered animal. And usually the tag availability is much also higher. Also because the ratio is skewed and it's not 50-50 mm-hmm. like it should be. Boom, you brought it all the way back around. Well, you know, I I, I think there's also so much, uh, there's a, the whole purpose of this debate really stems from uh, mm-hmm. what's perceived as socially acceptable, right? I, I mean, no. I know you guys don't play golf, <laughs> but if you watch the PGA Tour, on one weekend and you go out the next weekend to play golf, you have this misconception that you should be doing, you should be on the green and two shots on a par five and you should be sinking 50 foot putts, or you should just be able to get on the green within like three feet of the hole. When you look at the hunting industry as a whole, there, there are guys that have a whole career of shows based off of taking once in a lifetime right. deer, and mm-hmm. they do it week after week after week. Mm-hmm. You pull up any any hunting bag, you know. There's there's this there's magazines upon magazines with these deer of a lifetime, and you got one guy that's in the whole magazine with like twelve of them. It it establishes this weird unrealistic if you in a lifetime kill a Boone and Crockett deer. I mean, that's it. I mean. Like you said, that's not normal to go out every weekend and kill a Boone and Crockett deer. I mean, I've never heard anybody that duck blind <laughs> go, shy. that duck looks that's too young. That's true. That's true. You know. It'll fly to the eyes. <laughs> well, well, 
We'll we'll let him wait till next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're just grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. No, I, I think these yeah. are all very. Uh, I think that that's kind of like where where we settled, and definitely I agree with you, Lance, on that. Sort of what stems from the debate is like what's socially acceptable, and at the end of the day, I think it all should be. As long as you're following the law and you have some ethical standard, maybe that's the social standpoint that we should be focusing on is the ethics uh, versus. No, sorry. sorry. Unfortunately, I see a lot of hate on social media of like these. And I'm going to say men and I don't necessarily mean men, but I see it more often than I do women of posting photos of these yearling deer or these two and a half year old deer that aren't anything spectacular and they are super proud and they're getting a ton of hate and it aggravates me to no end like this could be their only opportunity this might be the only one day out of the year they get to go hunt this is the only thing that stepped out or this is the very first thing they've ever seen or this is the first time they've ever hunted and they've killed something and they're proud of it because they did the work they did it legally they did it ethically and everybody is giving them crap for it online and it's just the keyboard warriors i can't i don't have anything nice to say right now without cussing (laughs) And it just, no, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's Superman mm-hmm. and anonymity. Yeah, no, right? I'm, I'm a fan. And I think if if a, an individual wants to celebrate a success, it's their success to celebrate in the way that they see fit. You know, like. I, I would, I would, I personally, and this may get me in trouble, but. I I would, I have much more respect for that guy that went out and had two days to do it and found some plot of state Mm -hmm. land that had just this one young deer with a death wish walk through than some of these guys that have done some of these other types of hunts that, 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 not only are is there a certain amount of pay for success, there's also a certain there's an expectation amount of with money that comes within that success as well. Well, yeah, well, and then we start talking about economics, and then like, what's the economic ability like? I, I mean, I can't go out and afford a you know five, six, seven, eight thousand dollar hunt. But some people can. Yeah, and I'm. I'm Go for it. And absolutely. And that's another thing, too. You got the money, great, spend it. But don't dog on people that don't have it. Everybody should be celebrated in their own right as long as it's legal and ethical. And you cook it and enjoy it. Or donate it to, you know, Hunters Against Hunger or something along those lines. Absolutely. If it's not something you're willing to eat, Believe me, somebody out there would love to have it. Right. I don't like waterfowl. If I ever killed waterfowl, I would 1,000% give it away. Because I don't like to kill something I'm not going to (laughs) eat. Send it this way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We actually still have some game bags in here. Yeah. Okay. I remember Mm -hmm. that now. Um, All good. (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Oh, so we're kind of closing on time. Uh, so this is, I, th- I think we've settled 
pretty much in the same regard. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was a good talk. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Hold, Thanks for hold having that. me, guys. Hold that thought. No, I think it was a great thought. Um, But I'm going to give this is is the time for our last our last thoughts, our alibis, the hang fire. So since Lance is our guest today, I want to give you the opportunity. Any thought you have you want to share with us, any question, anything you want to share with the uh, with the listeners out there. This is this is the moment. Uh, You know, I, I think just in general, if if you're listening and you're looking to get into hunting and this is an avenue you're curious about or maybe you're not curious about it but somehow or another you hit the wrong thing while downloading this and we're like i ended up on some random hunting show uh hopefully we have taken some of the we have taken some of the intimidation out and uh and uh made this made this sport that we love hate cuss and everything else somewhat more approachable Nice. All right, Emily, what you got? I really want people to stop hating on people that kill something that they don't think they would have. As long as it's legal, ethical, morally right, let them have their time. Don't hate on them. But in the same breath, if you've been doing this for several years, I urge you to think about herd health and management and the bigger picture and maybe going years without necessarily taking anything what you consider s- substantial for the bigger picture of the herd health of the herd management for whatever state you're in and then other than that have fun be safe be ethical don't poach i no i agree with that i i think at the end kind of where i'm settled at is i, I really find myself at the same place i've always settled at is is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, hunt what makes you happy. Hunt in a legal and ethical way. And enjoy enjoy your harvest. Enjoy the meat. And find a way to respect it through these culinary adventures that we all have. Of, uh, you know, knowing and understanding the difference between game and other types of meat. And learning how to properly process it and take care of it. And I think it's an important step for all hunters. And anglers. Mm-hmm. Take care of your fish too. Don't leave those guys out. Yeah, we didn't really talk about we didn't really talk about the fishes. Well, oh gosh. That's another show. <laughs> <laughs> um but no, I, I think at the end of the day, like I, I'm still in the same spot, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to live on and enjoy posting pictures of my doe and my young deer and the old deer and hopefully the cow elk that I'm going to shoot at some point in the near future, uh, you know, and, and whatever. And I'll, I'll celebrate that in the kitchen with friends and family and we'll, we'll all have a great time. So, uh, I encourage everybody to do the same and don't let social media get you down. It's a bad judgment place. Just don't read the comments. Just don't read the comments. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to sometimes. It's hard to avoid that when you're like, oh, yeah, check this out. Like, I don't know. At the end of the day, maybe you're just better off not posting it in certain places where you know it's going to (sighs) happen. Just don't read the comments. (laughs) Or just don't read the comments. All right, guys. Well, uh, I thank everybody for 
uh, listening tonight. And uh, as always, show notes are available online. Uh, you can scroll down whatever podcast platform you're on. They're there. You get the links to some of the things that we've talked about, uh, any recipes we mentioned tonight. And then make sure to head over to social media, uh, Tagged Out Kitchen. That's where Lance uh, lives at on the social world. Uh, Harvesting Nature, make sure you're on following us as well get all the great awesome things that's going on there and then uh whatever podcast platform you're listening to punch that five star button leave us a review tell us what we're doing wrong or you know tell us what we're doing right thanks everybody have a good night